Good morning, Miss Yo. Um, our scripture is from Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Amen. Well, welcome everyone. My name is Johnny Morrison. I am one of the pastors here. It's good to have you. Uh, real joy to worship with you this morning. Thank you so much, the band. You sound awesome. Uh, so cool. Would you uh, pray with me, and then we'll keep rolling. Jesus, thank you that you are present here. Not because I'm here, because your people are here. And wherever your people are gathered, you promised to be with them. And so, Jesus, today as we talk about gathering and as we talk about being community and we talk about living into the mission of you, would we be attentive to your presence with us? Would we look anew and we'd pay attention anew and would we trust that you who said you'd be with us really are? Not just in this space when we sing and gather at the table, though you are there, but everywhere we go, you're with us. So we gain a new sense for your presence and we leave this place today knowing that we go with you, to you, full of you. Go pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are in a series right now entitled The Missio Day, exploring our communal identity, our communal vision. The questions that we're asking are, who are we as a community? What does it mean to be a church in Salt Lake City? What does it mean to be a church just generally? And how do we, as Missio, live into the Missio Day, the mission of God? How do we play our own unique role and participate in that work that God is doing around us? And we started this series two weeks ago uh, with our introduction with this theological truth, this commitment that we believe that undergirds everything that we're going to talk about in the weeks to come. And that statement is that we believe God is on mission to bring about the renewal of all things. 
That God is up to something in the world, and that God has been up to something in this world long before we ever got here and will continue to be up to that work much after we are here. That God is on a mission, that God is active, that God is the very first agent, the one who is doing something in the universe around us. And that's God's mission. We as a local church, we have a mission because God is on mission. We have a vision because God is doing something in the world around us. We don't invent our own mission. We have unique ways of participating, but we exist because of what God is already doing. Our job as the local church is more than anything else to pay attention to what God is doing in the world around us and to participate in what God is doing in the world around us. We don't force God into an environment. God's already ahead of us. If we really believe that God is everywhere, and if we really believe that God is ahead of us, then we don't manufacture God. We don't carry God in some unique way into a new space. Instead, we believe that God is already at work seeding the kingdom, and we get to participate. We get to join in. Now, this is marvelous news because it means that we are not the sole people responsible for God's mission. God is. We don't carry that weight alone. But as Heather said last week, that's also kind of an ethereal idea. To say that God is up to something in the universe, to say that God is bringing about the renewal of all things, those are big words. They are words that can mean a lot of things, and they can feel kind of like ephemeral and mystical and hard to get your mind around, and maybe even more importantly, hard to get your hands around. Like, how do I practically participate in the renewal of all things? How, what? How do I get my hands into that? How do I actually live this practically in the world around me? And this is where things get a little tricky, but also a little fun, I think. Because there are no clear formulas or prepackaged answers to how we join God's mission around us. What it means for you will often look different than what it means for me. What it means for you to participate in the thing that God is doing in your life or in your neighborhood will look different than it means for me because you live a different life and you live in a different neighborhood and you have different giftings and you have a different vocation. We don't all work for Missio, I don't think. I mean, I guess in some ways. That's why money's always tight. <laughs> What it looks like to be a participant in God's work looks different when you live in Mill Creek than it does in Rose Park. And it looks different with your friend group than it looks with my friend group. And it looks different as a lawyer and as a doctor than it does as an accountant. Now, there's things that remain the same. There's things that are skills and practices and stories and beliefs and habits that we hold to. But because the context in which we live is different, then the expressions of God's mission in our own lives are different. We each follow Jesus together. We listen to the Spirit. But we are a body with different parts, as Paul says. And the church is at its best when each of those parts or those gifts are expressing themselves in their uniqueness, when they don't all look the same and when they don't all show up the same way. 
I think about it like this. That the way God works is sort of how like a neighborhood cookout works. And if you go to a neighborhood cookout, if your neighborhood has a party or a barbecue, everybody brings something to share. Some people have a recipe that they like learned from their grandma who learned from their grandma, and it's like this like really heavy baked casserole, which is my favorite kind of food, heavy. Uh, <laughs> just that's the qualification. Is this heavy? I'll eat it. And you have that that you bring, and then Brian brings like some homebrew that's his own unique special taste, and someone else is really good on the grill, and so they come and they grill it up, and everyone brings something unique. My wife grows veggies in her garden, and she brings that on like a veggie tray, which is not heavy, so I don't eat it, don't tell her. (laughs) And everybody brings a unique expression of themselves, something that is a reflection of their own identity, of their own character, of their own home. And we all bring it to a collective table, and when we get it to the table, something happens. Our individual contributions are a feast, an abundant display of something made possible through the collective efforts of the community, and in our case, the Spirit of God at work in all of those things. God takes our contributions, our efforts, our gifts, our abilities, our desires, our dreams. God meets us at the table and transforms those things into an abundant feast for all. That's how the mission of God takes place in the world around us. Like a dinner party with your friends, a neighborhood cookout where everyone is sharing who they are and what they have. And you can't do that very easily with formulas or prepackaged solutions. And so instead, what we have as the people of God is guides to help us in this. We have Jesus, the most central guide of this whole story, who lived a life, who becomes our king, who shows us his way, and he's like, hey, follow me. We have the story of Scripture that guides us, teaches us, inspires us. We have the Spirit at work in all of it, guiding us, informing us. And then we also have practices, habits, tools, actions that we take as individuals and as a community that I really like the way Heather said it last week, help us wake up to what God is doing. Help us tend to the presence of God in the world around us. Help us participate in what God is doing. Practices are not always the most sexy thing to talk about when it comes to mission. Is that appropriate to say in church? No, too late. Because they are about consistency and showing up in some way simple and regular ways. I like to think about it like gardening. My wife is a gardener, as I just made fun of earlier. Uh, (laughs) And what I've learned from her is I'm not a very good gardener because I lack patience, but she's a very good gardener. And what I've learned from her is that from basically early spring to late fall, there's just habits and practices that you engage in consistently. You go outside and you water and you weed, and this year you fight a ton of squash bugs who are trying to destroy all the vegetables that you've grown. And my favorite thing that she does is that every morning before work, she takes some coffee and she goes into the garden and she just looks. 
She just explores. She may not do anything. She just looks around at what's happening. And I don't do that. And so what happens to me is she plants things. Nothing looks like it's happened. I go outside and fall. And I'm like, what? (laughs) How did this get here? You did this? Her practices, her habits, her consistency, her showing up into the yard, tending in simple ways, it doesn't make the garden grow. Tori's not poison ivy. She can't make it grow. But she curates and cultivates and participates in the growing process. She pays attention as sprouts begin to form. And so she sees what I don't see. That the kingdom has been seeded and something is emerging. And participating in the work of God is very similar. We have practices that we consistently and routinely engage in. They don't make the kingdom or God's work happen in the world around us. God is already at work doing those things, but it gives us an opportunity to participate, to practice, to tend, and like looking at the garden in the morning, to pay attention. To see that something is really happening around us. That God really is at work in our own lives, in our families, in our churches, and in our neighborhoods. Things we miss because like me, we don't go outside and just look. So practices help us wake up, as Heather said. They help us pay attention. They help us see what is happening. And we as a community, we have five like communal practices that we're dedicated to. They're not the only practices that exist in the universe. And in some ways you could say they're like categories of practices. Last week, Heather talked about the practice of exploring and named different ways in which we can do that practice. Discerning prayer, walking your neighborhood, asking curious questions of your friends. Lots of different ways of practicing. And today we're going to move on and talk about a second practice, which is the practice of gathering together. Gathering together as a community. This is the practice that I think we are... uh, maybe as just Christians, we are most familiar with. It's the one that we do most regularly. It's the one we're doing right now in this room. We do it in home churches as we gather in the middle of the week. And I think a lot of us have history and experience doing this practice. And it's a good one. It's a right one. But I think sometimes because this is the practice we are most familiar with, the one that is most common, we can sometimes miss how wild of a thing we're doing when we gather together. We can miss what it is that's actually happening because it feels so common and so rote. And the text that Meg read for us this morning from Ephesians 2, I think what Paul is trying to do in this passage is just show people that gathering together is a radical, wild thing to do. That it doesn't really make any sense unless God has done something in the midst of us. This passage from Ephesians, Paul is writing to a church, and it's a church that's made up of both Jewish and Gentile believers. And we've talked about this quite a bit this year, but all throughout the New Testament, there is contention around Jewish and Gentile believers doing life together. It does not go well in most instances. When they try to navigate this social communal expression together. They've lived in opposition for a long time. This is what Paul says in verse 11 through 12. He's writing to the Gentiles in this church. He says, so remember, 
you were once Gentiles by physical descent. And you were called the uncircumcised, which is like a pejorative term, by the Jews who are physically circumcised. And at that time, you were without Christ, and you were aliens rather than citizens of Israel, strangers to the covenant of God's promise. In this world, you had no hope and no God. The point that Paul is making is that there is at once in this community, something that divided Jews and Gentiles from life together. And it was not something small. It wasn't just political ideology, even though we know today how divisive political ideology can be. It was deeper and more intimately rooted. It was racial. It was religious. It was cultural. It was all of it. In verse 14, Paul calls the things that divide barriers of hatred, which is intense language. The thing that divided the church was barriers of hatred. They lived in opposition from one another. This church in Ephesus that's trying to do life together, they don't share really anything in common. They're divided by barriers of hatred. Everything is in opposition. Now, our moment today is different than that. But I do think that in some ways we know the pain that division in our families or in our friend groups or in our churches can cause. We know what it's like to lose friends. We know what it's like to feel like we were once on the same page with a group of people and are no longer on the same page with a group of people. We know what it's like for divisions and ideologies to separate. So I think at some level we have a resonance for the kind of pain that Paul is addressing here. We're familiar with the dynamics of barriers that spring up in the midst of a community and cause division. Paul says this is what's happening in the church, but then he goes on to say this is what is the problem in the church. But in verse 13 and 14 he says this, but now thanks to Christ Jesus, you who are once so far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Christ is our peace, collective communal peace. Christ is our peace. He made both Jews and Gentiles into one group with his body. He broke down the barrier of hatred that divided us. Paul is like, community is hard. (laughs) Gathering together is hard. All the things about us are in opposition. We share nothing. We have no common ancestry, no common religious story, no common political ideology. It is messy and intense and difficult. But thanks be to Christ, you who have very little in common are now made one group. What? You have been made one family. Somehow the dividing wall of hostility that existed in between you has been torn down and you have been made into one group by the body of Christ. This is the mysterious and miraculous work of the gospel, of God's mission to renew. It is that people who do not belong together are somehow made a family in Jesus. People who shared nothing in common now share 
Jesus and are made one. It is important for us to understand this is not a subplot or an addendum to the gospel story. It is at the very heart of what God is doing in the world. He's making us into a family where no one could have imagined a family before. But that doesn't make it easy. The reason Paul begins this moment by saying all these things exist that divide us is because they're still dividing the church in Ephesus. If you read Paul's letters in the New Testament, almost every single one of them has to do with this tension, that Jews and Gentiles don't know how to do life together. And there's multiple councils in the book of Acts that are trying to deal with how do Jews and Gentiles do life together. It takes them the whole story to even get close to figuring out the dynamic of doing life together in light of the gospel when so much is against us, when so much is different. And this is what makes the practice of gathering such a wild and radical thing to do. Because when we gather, we are attempting to practice the gospel. We are making real in our midst the story that is being proclaimed in the body of Christ that the dividing wall of hostility has been torn down and it may not feel true and it may not look true and nothing in me likes to sit next to you but I'm going to practice tearing down the dividing wall of hostility because it is what Jesus did. When we gather at this table, when we gather at the tables in our home, when we gather around our living room with our friends and our family, and those we don't particularly understand why they showed up to house church, we are practicing, there's a little laugh because you know it's true, we are practicing the gospel. We are declaring a new story to be true about us and about our community. We're saying that all of this mess is actually something God is intending to do. All this hard work actually testifies that God is doing something hard in the midst of us. That everything in me declares a different story. That everything maybe around me declares a different story. That I should be with those I prefer. That I should be with those who are more like me. That I should be with those who are easy to be with. But as I try, as I practice gathering, I declare a new story, a different story. I testify that Jesus is our collective peace, even when it does not feel like it. And it is messy and it is hard because of course it is. We are hard to be with. I am hard to be with. So of course doing Christian community is going to be messy. We in all purposes, in all ways, do not belong together, and yet now we find ourselves family. Sometimes we look at the mess and we're like, oh yeah, that means something isn't good. But I think the truth of Christian community is that the messiness is the sign that God is doing something hard and good and important in the midst of us. Hashtag, this mess is already blessed, you know? I'm so sorry. I had it. I was living with it for so long. I had to do it. 
our practice, oh my gosh, our practice of Christian community tells a different story. My very favorite theologian is a man named Stanley Hauerwas, and he says it this way. The church is constituted, made into a new people who have been gathered from the nations to remind the world that we are in fact one people. Gathering, therefore, is a future-oriented act as it is a foretaste of the unity of the communion of the saints. It's the first fruit of the garden that begins to grow from the practice of being together. It's not all that it's supposed to be, but a sign and a symbol of what can be. Christian practices show what is possible, what can be, what might happen if we took this story seriously. So as we gather together, wrestling through the difficulties of belonging, which have to be wrestled with, we begin to bear witness to some other world, some other reality, one that we might call the kingdom of Jesus. Paul isn't done yet. He says that's not the only thing that happens as we gather together. Yes, we tell a new story. We bear witness to something happening around us. But he says when we gather, we, through one another, experience the presence of God. In verse 20 through 22, Paul says this, As God's household, as the family... You are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophet with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. The whole building is joined together in him and grows into a temple that is dedicated to the Lord. Christ is building you into a place where God lives through the Spirit. Christ is building you into a place where God lives through the Spirit. Now, this gets us to something that is mysterious. So you just need to name that. We're, we're, we're entering into some mysterious territory. And the reason I say that is because we believe all of us individually have access to the presence of God through the Spirit. Right? We believe that. And we believe, as we've declared a lot today and last week and the week before, that God is already present everywhere. That those two things are true. And yet, there's also something that happens in us and with us when we gather together. Something that is different. And the writers of the Bible don't always say why it's different. They just say that something special, something unique begins to happen when we are together. Jesus says it a few different ways, illustrating the same thing. In the Great Commission, when Jesus is commissioning his disciples to go into all the world, he illustrates that he is with them and everywhere. Verse 18 says, Jesus came near and spoke to them. I've received all authority in heaven and on earth. So I'm over all things. I'm present. I'm in charge. And then in verse 20, he says, but look, I myself will be with you every day until the end of this present age. And in Matthew 18 20, in a likewise manner, Jesus says, For wherever two or three are gathered in my name, I am there with them. So I'm with you individually, I'm with you over the whole world, and I'm with you in some special, 
significant, unique kind of way when you gather together. The metaphor that I keep thinking about, which will break down pretty fast, so, you know, take it for what it's worth, is that there is different kinds of presence that we can offer one another in relationship. So what I mean by that is, like, if I text you, there's a kind of presence that happens in a text message, right? I'm connecting with you, we're talking. But it's not the same as if we were to Zoom call one another. Like, there's more presence, more intimacy, more vulnerability in a Zoom call. Sometimes it actually feels uncomfortable to be on Zoom. And that's good, especially during COVID. That was like the best thing that we could get. But it is not the same as when we are together. And it's not the same as when we are together, maybe with some friends, at a table, having a meal in slow, open time. There's a different kind of presence. All good, all right, all important to curate a relationship. You need those different kinds of exchanges and reciprocity. But there is something different when you get a group of people together, lay a table and have a meal together that is different than texting or Zooming or going to run errands together. And I think in the same way, God is present in all of these different spaces, all important, all right, all good. And yet when we are together, something special happens. Something significant is made possible where we can experience God together in that moment. And here's the important thing to understand about that is that it is not limited to one place or one kind of environment. God is not just present with us when we sing or when we listen to a sermon. I believe God is present in those moments. But the distinction that Jesus makes when two or three are gathered in my name isn't in a traditional church. It's not when you're singing. Again, though, I believe that's true. God just says, I'm present with you when you gather. So when you gather at this table, I'm present with you. But when you gather at your own table in your own home, I am also present with you in the same way. And when you gather at your office with your coworkers, guess what? I am present with you in the same way. You may not be thinking about it. You may not be paying attention. But guess what? I am there. Attentive and present and with you just waiting for you to pay attention. But I'm in that space. And our job as the Christian community, it is to attentively gather in all the spaces we believe God is, which means everywhere. I think this is why Paul uses the language of we are a living temple. Temples are a place where God's presence dwelt. But the old temple that was built in Israel was stationary. didn't move couldn't go anywhere. People had to go there. Which is good, it's right. Paul's like, you're a living temple. Maybe another word that you could use there is you are a moving temple. You're a temple on legs that gets to go different places to make presence accessible everywhere that you are. My, one of my mentors, a guy named Alan Roxborough, says it this way, God does not only rule generally over the whole world through Christ. But this work of God, this rule of Christ, actually becomes concrete or 
real as the Spirit extends Christ's presence visibly through the local church into the world. So when we gather, we tell a new story, not just in this place, but in the world around us. So what does that look like more practically? How do we gather in such a way? Well, I'll just tell you a story from my own experience that maybe will help inspire or shape some of it, but it won't look exactly like the way it does in your own stories. But uh, if you've been here a while at Missio, you might know that Missio is, uh, has a rich history, kind of a long history. And part of that history is a church that I got to help start and participate in called East Avenue. And everything I'm about to say, I know because I learned from those folks in that community, many of whom still attend here. Um, and that church began out of a coffee shop. I had way too much free time on my hand as a young person, and so I would just go to this coffee shop in uh, Sandy, Utah, which is where all the best coffee is held. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, I would just go every day, literally every day, uh, and I would work, and I would study, and I was, I was interning at the time, and so I would like work, and I'd study, and I'd hang out, and I would meet people. And if you spend that much time in a place, what happens is you begin to meet people, even if you don't want to, which I wasn't really there to meet people, uh, but you do, you meet people, and you begin to develop relationships. And like some of the people that I met there, you will know. Like Nikki, who attends here, whose husband is on the guiding team, she was the barista. She's unmarried then, she was the barista, and she's still here, still leading our community. Max McLeod, who helps lead our house church, I met him there. He was like 17, and he was leading a Bible study of a bunch of 17-year-olds. And I just like creeped up and, you know, entered in. I was like, hey, kids. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's going to fire me. Um, but Max, then he helps lead our house church. The first person who was a pastor at the church I had started and the first elder I met there. I think half of my wedding line I met either directly through there or indirectly through that place, including AJ over here. And the reason I tell you that story is because as you gather in a place and you begin to meet people, and you begin to share stories, and you begin to pay attention, you begin to meet more people and hear more stories, and people share their lives with you, and you share your lives with others. And you're invited into moments of grief and moments of goodness and moments of joy and moments of pain. You're connected to people that you would never normally be connected with. And I think as you gather in the name of Jesus in those spaces and are attentive, you start to watch something grow up in them. I'd sit with folks who had felt so random months before and now you would hear their whole life story. We'd celebrate people who, again, had been strangers moments before. Sometimes in that space we would challenge or confront or have difficult conversations. Sometimes I would repent of things that I had done that I didn't feel were appropriate, like... You do life together. And in all of it, in our gathering, it feels like a table gets laid and a feast gets prepared for everyone who participates. And it's from gathering in that space that so much of who we are today, so much of who I am today, if nothing else, can be traced back to. And the thing is, is none of it looks all that spiritual on its surface. 
I don't know what we often think about when we think about gathering or think about spiritual practices. None of it looks that spiritual on its surface. But like a garden, if we show up, gather, tend, we get to see that God is already at work in those places. There's something already happening before we ever arrive and we are invited to participate tell a story with our presence, to make something accessible. And like in a garden, I think growth is expected and yet always surprising. I don't know that I would have been able to trace those moments to this moment. Yet here we are. And all of us, in many ways, are the product of faithful practices at some moment in our time. And for me, at that stage of my life, I had nothing but time. So I'm not expecting that the same kind of activity gets reproduced, but all of us spend time somewhere. At our work, in our neighborhood. And I think the question for us to answer is just this. What if we believed... God would meet us there in those places. And if we were to gather in those places, maybe with a friend, a Christian colleague, a co-worker, the friends that we have there, do we believe that God would be present to us? What if we believe that God was at work in all of those places of our life? What if our gathering together opened up places of presence where people could experience God? How might we live then? How might we think about the places we are living? This is the thing that we practice here on Sundays. In fact, it's why we have Sundays and why we have home churches during the middle of the week. Each of these moments are opportunities for us to practice gathering in this exact way, to learn how to be attentive, to listen, to hear. But they aren't meant to be the end. They're meant to be the beginning of something. A place that sends us into the rest of the world, attentive, paying attention, and ready to participate in what God is doing amongst us. And as we gather at this table, And as we declare that new story that we belong together, that God has made a family out of us, and as we take the bread and the juice that sometimes feel just like bread and juice, we remember that they are just bread and juice. And yet that's exactly the kind of thing God likes to use to make his presence palpable and real. And so, Missio, in a moment I'm going to invite you to this table. And as you gather here and tell that story with those who don't make sense and the elements that are simple, would you come maybe just with the question, what if I believe that God took bread and wine and bodies and communities and made them feasts for everyone? Tables where all were welcome and stories that declared good news. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your presence. 
that you're here in our midst with us and that you are waiting for us everywhere else, calling us to join, inviting us to participate with you, to see our work and our families and our neighborhoods, all those places as sacred places because of your presence in us and waiting for us. So God, help us to be attentive, help us to gather with you with expectation. May God meet us. We pray these things in your name. Amen.